The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Penny, and I'm the senior pastor here. And it is good to be with you. If you're a guest or a visitor, we are glad that you're with us this morning as we uh, celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. I know this is not lost on anyone. This is Easter Sunday. Um, and so it is the day where we do focus our attention with the church around the world on the resurrection of Jesus. And if you've been with us over the last number of uh, weeks, months, years, then hearing about Jesus' death and resurrection is not something that is just uh, contained to one Sunday here. Uh, but actually, you would hear about it almost every week, that we speak of Jesus' death for our sins, his atoning work on the cross, his rising from the dead to defeat death and hell and the grave. This is something that you would hear from us each and every week because this is the central part of our faith. In fact, it's so essential that the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says that if Jesus has not died and risen again, then our faith is futile. And there's no point in us even being here. But he has risen. He has physically risen from the dead and defeated death and hell in the grave. And so we rejoice and we celebrate. And it is right for us to take a Sunday, one Sunday every year and focus our attention on this resurrection. Now, in the coming weeks, we're going to spend more time on resurrection life because in the next four weeks after this week, we'll be focusing our attention on 1 Corinthians 15 and the implications that the resurrection has for us. But this morning, we look at an account from the Gospels, from Matthew. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew 28. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the chairs in front of you, and we'll project the passage on the screen in a moment. And if you came here this morning and you don't have a Bible, uh, we would love for you to have that one. Please take that with you. It is our gift to you. We would love for you to have it. Well, Matthew 28, beginning in verse 1. Please follow along. Now, after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, it is our desire to see you clearly this morning, to hear your word, to embrace the truths of your gospel, and so we pray that you would open our eyes, that you would fix our gaze upon Jesus, the one, this one who is 
died and risen again, this one who lives today so that we too can live. And so we pray that you would give us eyes to see clearly, that you would give us ears to hear, and that you would help us to walk with you today and all of our days. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So if you don't know uh, me or my family, then you wouldn't know that prior to coming to Roanoke, uh, we lived for a decade in St. Louis, Missouri. For 10 years, we lived there, and, and after a little while of living in St. Louis, we kind of came to expect some certain things about living there, some particular things that maybe we hadn't experienced before. Like, we knew that every summer, it was going to be very hot and very humid. In fact, we moved from South Carolina, and the summers in St. Louis felt very much like the summers of South Carolina. So we expected it to be hot and humid every sum summer. We expected every winter there to be lots of snow. In fact, enough snow that we would have to cancel at least one, if not multiple, church services. And so when we planned the preaching schedule, we just knew to, you know, just plan for some skips. <laughs> we knew that winter would come. We also knew that after living there for a little while, that between April and June, we would be awoken. Our attention would be brought to attention by the sound of tornado sirens, and we'd have to take our children into the basement and wait till the storm passed over. And we knew every October, without fail, the Cardinals would be in the playoffs. It wasn't every October, it was just like 8 out of 10, but still, you get the point. So, so this is what we came to expect every year. This is what we would expect. The summers, the winters, the tornado sirens, this is what we had come to know as normal life living in Missouri. But one night, it was actually the early morning, one night we were sleeping, my wife and I and our daughter Lane, Mead and Cole weren't on the scene yet. It was about our second year in St. Louis, and we were awoken not by a tornado siren, not by the sound of plows plowing the, the street. No, it was in the, in the fall, so winter had not come. It wasn't any of these things that woke us that morning. It was something we had never experienced before. It was the sound of pictures rattling on our walls. It was the sound of glasses banging into one another in our kitchen cabinets. It was the feel of our apartment shaking. In the early morning hours before my alarm went off to send me off to seminary to class, we were awoken by an earthquake. Now I have to tell you, this was very unsettling, and it was strange, and it was completely surprising. I mean, there was no damage done. There were no injuries. It was a mild one as far as earthquakes go. But, but we were living in St. Louis, and the earth below us had moved. Okay, we weren't in California, right? We weren't living in San Francisco or Oakland where you know that eventually you'll feel the earth give way underneath you. No, this was St. Louis. This was Missouri. And so this was completely surprising and unexpected. Never expected to be awoken in the morning by the earth quaking beneath my feet. It's not what we expected, and that's not what the Marys expected either. Right? The Marys of our passage, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, were told in verse 1 that they went early in the morning hours of that Sunday. They went to the tomb. And what did they expect to find when they went to the tomb? They expected to find a stone covering the tomb. They expected to find guards guarding the tomb. They expected to find a lifeless body inside the tomb. 
We're even told in the other accounts that they brought spices, so they expected to prepare the body for its final rest. What they expected on that morning was to find what they would have, ex- would have found every other morning. They went to a tomb. Calm. Quiet. Nothing really to give your attention to. But when they arrived that morning, what they found was quaking. It was quaking. That's what we see in verse 2. Behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Now, it's interesting that throughout the scriptures, throughout redemptive history, the history that is depicted in the Bible, that oftentimes when God meets with his people, when he reveals himself to them, there is an earthquake. So, for example, in Exodus chapter 19, when God is speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, before he gives the Ten Commandments, we're told that the mountain trembled. Or in 1 Kings 19, when God speaks to the prophet Elijah, we're told that the earth trembled. Or in Matthew 27, when Jesus was crucified, we're told that the earth quaked. There are other examples of this throughout the Old and New Testaments of God revealing himself, of speaking to his people. When Jesus gave his life, when he rose again, these events were of such significance that the very foundations of the earth shook. But on that morning, it wasn't just the earth that quaked, so too did man. Did you see it? The soldiers who were guarding the tomb, they felt the earthquake, they saw the angel, and in verse 4, we're told, for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Now that word trembled, and the word earthquake, a few verses before it, those two words have the same root meaning. They're derived from the same root word, and so what we're being told is that it wasn't just the earth that quaked, but there was a man quake that morning as well that the guards quaked, that they were overcome with fear to the point of being paralyzed. And of course they were afraid, right? An angel is before them. Now, I love how casual the angel is, right? He's sitting on the stone. It's almost, you know, you could imagine almost like a child sitting out on that, that sign out front, kicking his legs, right? But to the guards, he's terrifying because we're told his appearance is like lightning. And you know the terror of a lightning strike, right? You've perhaps been in a storm where it is very black, where the wind is howling, where the rain is coming and the lightning strikes near you, it does feel like the earth shakes. It is terrifying. For the guards, they were prepared to see mourners. They were expecting to see men, but, but they didn't expect an angel and an empty tomb. And so they quaked. On the occasion of Christ's resurrection, the earth And man quaked. But that's not all that Jesus' resurrection brought. It didn't just bring quaking. The resurrection brought comfort as well. Look at verse 5. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid. Now the contrast between the women and the guards is really beautiful here. Because to the guards, right, the angel doesn't say anything to the guards. It's as though the angel is perfectly content leaving the guards in their fear and in their trembling. But to the women, he says, don't fear. In fact, if we were to translate it as literally as we can, it wouldn't simply say, do not be afraid. What it would say is, you do not be afraid. 
It's as though the angel is saying for the guards and for those who are opposed to Jesus, who don't believe in him and don't trust in him, they have every reason to fear and they need to be afraid. But for you, Mary Magdalene, for you, the other Mary, for you who love and trust the Lord, for you who are looking to him in faith, have no fear. Do not be afraid. And why? Because he's risen. I mean, that's the rationale that the angel gives, right? He says, do not be afraid. For I know that you see Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. So you see how the angel is comforting them, right? Do not be afraid. You came to grieve. You came to mourn because Jesus had died. And he had died. He truly was dead. It's not that he was swooned. It wasn't that he had passed out. It wasn't that he was in a coma. He was dead. And he was buried. He was crucified. But the operative word there is was. He was crucified. He was dead. But now he's alive. He's alive. The tomb is empty, so do not fear. The tomb could not contain him. Death couldn't rule over him. Be comforted. Be comforted. And this comfort that the angel gives to the women is not just a comfort from his words. It's not just a comfort that comes from the empty tomb, but it's a comfort that comes from Jesus himself. Because we read that they left the tomb at the angel's words and they ran with fear and great joy. I love that phrase, fear and great joy. I mean, it almost seems like it'd be contradictory, right? Like, how can you be afraid and have great joy? But we know what this is like if you're a parent, right? Because especially with your firstborn, on that day when that firstborn came into this world and you held him or her, right, there was great joy. We have new life, a new person in our family, someone to love, to care for, to provide for, and great fear because we're going to have to provide for them. And we're going to have to love them. And what if I mess them up? And, and, you know, by the third or fourth child, you're not worried about whether you mess them up because you know you're going to mess them up, right? But, but we know. We know the fear of uncertainty mixed and intermingled with great joy and hope. And that's what the women had. They go and tell the disciples, but on their way to go and tell the disciples of, of the great joy of what they have seen and heard, they meet Jesus along the way. In verses 9 through 10, we read, Behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. Now, before we go on, let me just pause for a second. Like, greetings, that's it. That feels very nonchalant, doesn't it? I mean, he was dead, and now he's alive. He's standing before them, and all he says is, Greetings? Well, it feels very nonchalant to us because our English translation doesn't encompass the, the fullness of what this word is getting at. You see, it's, a, it's a, a formal greeting, a formal welcome, and it can actually mean rejoice or, or may, may things go well with you. This is what Jesus is saying. Rejoice, may things go well with you. Welcome, greetings. And the passage goes on. They came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Here's that phrase again, do not be afraid. Have comfort. And this comfort that Jesus speaks to the Marys isn't just for them. It's for the disciples. 
You see what Jesus said? Go to my brothers. Now, it's interesting here, isn't it, that he says, go to my brothers. The angel said, go to the disciples, but he says, go to my brothers. And it'd be very easy for us to pass over this, right? Because that's a phrase we use for one another. In fact, greeting many of you this morning, uh, I, I referred to you as brother, right? This is just something that's common in our church language and in the Bible, brother. And so it'd be easy to pass over it, but, but think about who Jesus is talking about. He's talking about those who once lived with him, who walked alongside him, who heard his teaching, who spent time with him. But that's not all that they were. These same ones who knew him, who walked with him, they're the same ones who also fell away, who ran when the soldiers arrested Jesus, who watched his trial from a distance, who denied him. They are those who fled. And it's those whom Jesus calls brother. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? They're, he doesn't call them, go, go to the deniers or to the cowards or to the fleers. He says, go to my brothers. And why are they brothers? Well, it's not because of them, right? It's not because they were steadfast. It's not because they were courageous. We know they weren't. We just were reminded that they fell away, that they were cowardly. No, it's not because of the disciples that they are called brothers. It's because of Christ. He brings them into the family of God. And friends, what scripture tells us is that that is true of us as well. That if you are trusting in Jesus and looking to his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins, if you know him as Savior, then today you can have comfort because you are a brother and sister of the king. Now listen, I don't know what you brought with you this morning. I don't know the, the emotional angst or the relational difficulty. I don't know the sins that you have committed in the past or that you've even committed this day. I don't know all of the things that you bring. But Jesus does. And Jesus knows those words that you have spoken he knows those thoughts you have thought. He knows those things you have done. And you are, if, if you are trusting in his death and resurrection, he calls you brother and sister. In fact, Jesus himself said, no greater love has this than someone would lay down his life for his friends, and I call you friend. That's what he says of his people. That's what he says of you and me. That's what he says of people like me. And you, people who have rebelled against him, who have turned from his ways, who have sinned against him, he calls you brother and sister. You are no longer rebel and denier, coward or orphan. You are a part of the family of God because he makes you part of that. Friends, that is good news. That is good news that those who trust in the resurrected Jesus can have comfort because we are part of the family of God. And that's what resurrection does. It brings comfort. But it doesn't just bring comfort. Finally, resurrection brings commission. The commission is first given by the angel to the women to go and tell. And it's repeated by Jesus in verse 10. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And so these women, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they are the first people to proclaim that Jesus is alive. 
right? It was the angel who first told them, but they are the first humans to go and proclaim that death could not rule over Christ, that, that he is risen again to new life. They go and declare this, and there is joy and excitement involved with this commission, right? The angel told them to go, and so they did. They ran. They didn't stroll. They didn't go on a leisurely walk. They didn't stop and smell the roses. They ran and sprinted. They couldn't wait to tell the disciples all that they had seen and heard. It's as though their hearts leapt in their chests and their feet bounded across the ground. They went with this commission. But this commission that they went with is very different than the response that we see from the religious leaders. If you still have your Bibles open, you can look on ahead in verses 11 through 15. I'm not going to read the passage, but in the verses that come after ours, we have these guards who were once paralyzed with fear. The fear is no more. They go and they tell the chief priests and the scribes what has happened. They go and tell them, this one is alive. He's risen again. And so how do the chief priests and the scribes respond? Well, they know the scriptures. They know the promises. But what do they say? They don't say, go tell people. Go, go call out to the city. Go tell everyone that the dead are now alive. No, they say, keep quiet. Don't tell anyone. In fact, in verse 13, they tell the soldiers to tell people that the disciples had stolen the body. Now, what's amazing about this response is that they didn't deny the historical reality of Jesus' resurrection, and they didn't doubt its validity. They simply ignored it and minimized it and tried to sweep it away. It had no impact on their lives. And friends, the truth is, is that this day you could acknowledge Jesus was a man, and you can affirm that he was executed and he died on the cross. And you can give intellectual assent to his resurrection. And you can still reject him as king. And that's who he is. He is the king. The women, they fell at his feet and take hold of him. This is an act of worship. It's an act of paying homage to their king. The one who rules over this world and over us. But the religious leaders know. And so the question that we should be asking ourselves is, how do we respond to the resurrected Jesus? How are we going to respond? And, and friends, let me just say, do not make the same mistake as the leaders did. Do not dismiss the resurrected Christ. Instead, take hold of him. Fall before him, submit to his rule, and worship him. That is what the women did. And later, the disciples, they would be commissioned to do the same, to tell not just of a man, but the Son of God, who took on flesh and lived a perfect life and died on the cross in our place so that our sins would be forgiven and rose to new life. That is what they were commissioned to proclaim, and that is the commission for us. That we would declare that life and death and resurrection of Jesus is the only hope for those who are grieving and for those who are sad and for the sinner and for the world. That resurrection is our only hope. That Christ is our only hope. That is our message. That Christ has come and he has lived and died and he has risen again and he is coming again. Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we do thank you that the tomb could not contain our Lord Jesus, that death could not win out over him, but instead he rose to new life. And because he lives, so too do we. And so we pray that we would turn our gaze towards Jesus, that we would fall before his feet, and that we would pay homage to our King, our risen Lord, the one who has given his life and has risen to new life so that we would live for him. So help us to worship him. Help us to walk with you. Help us to live as loyal subjects to our resurrected king. And it's in his name that we pray. And all God's people said together, amen.